Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marbus, and I'm super excited to really have you guys listen and learn from someone who's doing a lot of amazing things. Dr. Melissa Sunderman, how are you today? I'm doing great, Lori. So excited to be here with you today. Well, you have, you're quite an achiever, so I, I really can't wait for people to learn, one, just you know how you got into lifestyle medicine and all that good stuff, but also just the incredible you know, endurance uh, activities that you do. You're a mom, you're a doctor, so let's just dive in. So let's start with, let's learn a little bit about Dr. Sunderman. What, how did you decide to become a doctor? That's kind of always an interesting story. Okay, well, I will definitely tell that story, but I first off want to say that I am just tickled to be here with you today, Lori, because I have been listening to your podcast for years, and mm-hmm. even, you know, as I first got board certified in lifestyle medicine, and we'll go through that story, I, I discovered your podcast, and I just fell in love with just how sweet and intelligent and kind and just and I learned so much for your podcast. So I think it's Thank just you. awesome that I'm here today. So with that being said, um, what's my pathway? So yeah, I didn't have any doctors, even nurses in my family, but at an early age, I just had this interest uh, that I was interested in medicine. I remember going to visit someone in the hospital, um, a sick family member, and just having this curiosity of just wanting to absorb and learn. And so from probably about age eight, I was just curious about being a doctor, um, even though I didn't have, I had great role models in my life, but they just didn't happen to be in medicine. So I took that through, you know, high school and college. I went to the University of Michigan, majored in pre-med. And at that time, uh, Women in Science was just beginning. In fact, I was in the original cohort of a program at the University of Michigan called Women in Science. So this is way before we had all of these kind of programming going on. And because of that, I was um, assigned to a lab, and so I did research um, in the School of Public Health at the University of Michigan and worked in the lab all four years. And so I thought, well, I think I want to be a doctor, but maybe I want to do research. So I took um, two years, uh, two gap years, and did research and really came to the realization that I know I want to do, I want to be a doctor, I want to work with people. I love science, but I, I, I want to be forward-facing with patients. So went to Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. So I am a DO. And for people who don't know the difference, um, MDs and DOs, actually at Michigan State is perfect because they have both an MD program and a DO program. We took all of the same science courses, um, biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, uh, all together. But then as a DO, we were also trained in something called osteopathic manual medicine. So that's becoming more and more popular. Um, where we really use our hands for healing. So myofascial release, and there are some more high velocity. So that's a little bit of the difference. But as a DO, I think from the get-go, we're, we're taught that the body is an integrated system and that everything is related. And as we know with lifestyle medicine, that is, is what we believe as well. So I always had this, um, this feeling that that's a direction I wanted to go. So I... Um, did residency in internal medicine because I wanted to develop long-term 
relationships with my patients. And I, I loved the hospital medicine, but I also loved outpatient. And so internal medicine seemed like a perfect fit. And then as a, um, the end of residency is when, or during residency is when I had my son, Blake, who's now 23. And my, um, let's see, at the very beginning of my first year of practice, I had my daughter, Paige, who's now 21. So like you, I know you have three kids. It was balancing being a mama and being a doctor. And mm -hmm. back when I went to residency and everything like that, it was before they had these limited hours. And so it was working crazy 36 hour shifts and, and, and it's hard to balance sometimes, right? Where you've been on call, but your, my kids were babies. They had no clue of that. They still needed their mom. And fortunately I have a very, very supportive husband to this day who really we co-parented um, and helped me a lot. I couldn't have done residency without him. I know you went to medical school um, when your kids were, um, you know, in By three and school. 10 months, yeah, yeah when I started exactly. medical so school. You needed yeah. to have a, a co-partner as well. Yeah. Um, so I wore many different hats during um, my early stages of my career in medicine. I was a hospitalist, so I took care of acutely ill patients in the hospital. I worked at the University of Michigan right on campus, so I took care of uh, faculty and students and staff. I worked for large organizations such as Trinity Health. So I feel like I, I very, became very well-rounded with both inpatient and outpatient setting, which we know that they're similar but very different. And during the time that I was working at the University of Michigan, I, st I had this interest because I think of my uh, training as a DO that I wanted to learn you know, other ways of healing just besides pills and procedures. So I had the opportunity in about 2010 to do a program at the University of Michigan called a Faculty Scholars Program in Integrative Medicine. And there's a cohort of about eight to 10 of us and not just people in medicine. Uh, we had an art professor, we had an architecture professor, we had some nurses and we spent every Friday for um, the academic year learning about complementary and alternative ways of healing. So one week we would have uh, someone from homeopathy, another uh, week would be traditional Chinese medicine, it might be Reiki, it might be energy healing. So what that did for me, it wasn't that I was trained how to perform acupuncture, but it really opened my eyes, my heart, that there was other ways of healing that existed far you know, before our, our traditional Western med medicine. And from there, because I was so uh, interested in that, I went on to do a professional training in mind-body medicine with James Gordon, who's one of the pioneers of mind-body medicine, along with names like John Kabat-Zinn. So with those, that interest, uh, with those tools, I then would try to take that into my everyday interactions with patients. And it's not that I practiced traditional Chinese medicine, but if maybe one of my patients was saying, hey, you know, I get acupuncture, I knew what that was about. Or, you know what, I went to see a naturopathic uh, practitioner and I'm taking these kind of herbs. I knew what that was about. And so I think sometimes physicians, uh, many professionals, if we don't know something, we, we tend to say, Close oh, we don't do that. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of crazy. Don't, don't even look into that. So I at least knew and I had met professionals and I had respect for that. So then life happens and you've got kids and I was balancing being a mom and my kids were super involved in their sports. My son was a big time soccer player. My daughter was a diver. So we traveled all over the country with them, which was awesome. Uh, I would never trade it for the world. I, I say I probably own stock in Hampton hotels um, from all that time. Um, and then I always knew, or I've had this feeling deep in my heart that there was, there was something more 
for me to do to really align my personal and professional passion and interest. And so in about 2018, my kids were going off to college, so they're um, just a year apart. So it was like boom, boom, graduation and college um, one year after the other. And I felt like this was time that I could really be more selfish career-wise um, because I never wanted to take away from my kids, uh, even though I did work. And I think that was, I was, I wanted to think I was a good role model because I worked um, while they're growing up. Um, but now I could have a little bit more time. So I literally sat down at the computer, um, like, you know, and went to Google because Google can answer like every question, you know, I have uh, and started combining words that perked my interest and perked my passion. So things that I plugged in were nature medicine, wellness medicine, um, probably running medicine and up popped lifestyle medicine. And I thought, wow, what's that? So it brought me to the landing page of American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I read through the six pillars of lifestyle medicine and it like gave me chills because it just felt like coming home of just, (laughs) oh my gosh, like this is exactly how I lead my life, how I want to live my life, how I want my patients to live their life. And, and there's, there's other people like me out there. You know, I, I felt like many times as a, as an outlier or a unicorn in medicine that you know, when the next new drug came out that we could just put everyone on, I was like, but, 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 but can we talk about lifestyle and, you know, and so it was, it was wonderful. And so I decided to become board certified. I became board certified in 2019. And ever since that time, my entire life, I just feel like it's, I've had a wonderful life all along, but this aligning who I am personally with my profession has just been um, just a godsend to me. So I um, have gotten more and more involved in lifestyle medicine and uh, I was part of Trinity Health, which is a very large healthcare organization. Um, and there's, I was in the Michigan area, Ann Arbor, Michigan area. And at that time, it was great timing when I got board certified is that they were looking to launch a, a lifestyle medicine division. And so I was uh, fortunate enough to have some great mentors um, who had been with this group for a while, who also got board certified in lifestyle medicine. And we launched a lifestyle medicine consult service. Uh, Our group had about a thousand um, providers, so physicians and PAs and nurse practitioners, so multi-specialties. So what we created was a consult group, uh, lifestyle medicine consult service. So if someone um, who was not board certified in lifestyle medicine had someone with type two diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, uh, heart disease, obesity, they could send them to one of us for consultations. So that was really rewarding um, and a lot of got experience with some leadership experience in creating a program. And we also created a lifestyle medicine interest group. And then fast forward of just feeling like this is really where I want to take my, my next steps in my career and in my life. I got an opportunity where I sit in my office right now, and in October, October 1st, I started my new position at Canyon Ranch. And for those uh, listeners who are maybe not familiar with Canyon Ranch, Canyon Ranch has been around for about 40 years, and we are a wellness resort and really integrative wellness resort. We're one of the few wellness resorts that actually have physicians on staff. 
So the main locations are in Tucson, Arizona. And then I'm in the Berkshire Mountains of Massachusetts, absolutely beautiful. And then we have smaller locations in Northern California, Woodside, and then also in Las Vegas inside of the Venetian Hotel. So it's a relatively new position for me, but um, it, it feels like the universe put me here at the right time in my life. Uh, my kids are partially launched. I guess they're never really truly launched, but at 21 and 23, I feel like I can you know, really explore this opportunity. So that's me in a nutshell and kind of how I sit in this chair right now. Well, you know, just getting to the Canyon Ranch piece, um, Richard Carmona, is he still involved with uh, Canyon Ranch? He is. Um, he's on our board. He, uh, he's not actively seeing patients, but um, he's out in the okay. Tucson area. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I interviewed him three or four years ago. And yeah, I remember him talking. He was in Tucson. What an amazing story, too. But he talking about Canyon uh, Ranch as well. So um, yeah. that's awesome. So now this, your Canyon Ranch, it's in the Boston area, correct? It's two hours uh, west of west. Boston. Okay. So in the Berkshire okay. Mountains of Massachusetts, which is absolutely wow. gorgeous. It's a really cultural area. So um, some people would maybe have heard of uh, Tanglewood. So this is the Summer Institute where the Boston Symphony uh, resides and they have oh, concerts, wow. outdoor concerts. And then Jacob's Pillow is a dance uh, conservatory in the summertime. Wow. So, and lots, you would love it too. You're outdoorsy, lots of hiking and biking and skiing and just lots of areas to play outdoors. Cool. Wow. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, I definitely will have to come visit when I, my, so my daughter's in Boston doing residency. I'd love to just come over. Like we could just go over drive over for a couple yeah. hours. <laughs> um, and I really want to just kind of, you know, you kind of just kind of went over it, but the energy, you, how you got chills reading about lifestyle medicine. So we were just at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine conference. Can you explain the energy that was there? Because we uh, met in person. I mean, holy yeah. moly. Well, so when my first American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and I'll just use the abbreviation ACLM, um, was in 2019, and that's when I got board certified. So I had, you know, seen people because I read their books, or maybe I listened to podcasts. So I was like, literally like this fangirl, where I was like, oh my gosh, there's Michael Clapper. Oh my gosh, there's Michael Greger, you know, and so there's Lori Marvis. And since 2019 of me really getting involved and again, putting myself out there because mm -hmm. the universe attracts, right? And if you put yourself out there um, with something that you're aligned in. So I, our conference, the ACLM conference was virtual in 2020, virtual in 2021 and 2022, it was live. So during that time, those three years, I really had made all these connections. We had met virtually before I had met many people virtually and you felt like, oh, yeah, we kind of know each other because we've talked, we've seen each other two dimensionally. But when we arrived there, all 2,000 of us, it was this big, like you said, this energy fest, this fun woman energy, this love fest. And with being safe, um, hug fest, you know, of just, I, and like I said, I think we, many of us have felt like these outliers in medicine of, we don't quite fit in like we believe you know in science and we believe in the Hippocratic Oath and we want to do good for our patients but we feel like the system is somewhat broken and and lifestyle you know we weren't educated about nutrition in medical school I mean maybe a couple of hours and that was about tube feedings you know in the hospital or the Krebs cycle biochemistry so some of these really really fundamental aspects to health 
we were never educated on. So we gravitated to lifestyle medicine because maybe we saw what was working for ourselves or we just, you know, had learned that how you move your body, how you sleep, how you eat, how you manage your stress, you know, how you connect the socially uh, and, you know, how you don't smoke or drink too much. So it was absolutely incredible. And I feel like the camaraderie when you just have this collective group who really supports each other. And what I've been amazed at is that, you know, the luminaries of lifestyle medicine are pioneers. If you were to run into them there, they're going to give you a hug and treat you just like one of theirs. Because I think that we all want to see lifestyle medicine succeed. We all want to shift the paradigm of how medicine is practiced and delivered. And because of that, whether you've written 10 books or you're Dean Ornish or T. Colin Campbell or you're Melissa Sunderman and I've only been in this space for about three years, you're, there's no hierarchy, right? And that is just a breath of fresh air of, of being, you know, as we were trained in medicine, Lori, and I'm sure you remember, like you start off in those hospital rotations and you've got the shortest of shortest of shortest white coat that identifies you as being <laughs> the peon. Like, and right. then as you become an intern, you finally get your longer coat, but you're still kind of a peon because there's the residents and the senior residents and then the fellows and then they attending. So we're very trained and ingrained of this hierarchy of who's most important or, or smartest. And in lifestyle medicine and the collegiality in our community, it's not like that. No, exactly. That's funny. The short, yeah, the shortcuts. I remember when I did, uh, I was a third year medical student. I was doing a psychiatry rotation mm -hmm. and we walked into, it was an inpatient um, psychiatry hospital. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, here come the shortcuts. Well, never <laughs> the life of me. And then patients in the hospital always assumed you were a nurse. If it's a female, oh, yes. oh, here comes the nurse. Here comes nurse. I'm like, yeah. I'm not even a nurse. I'm just a medical student. I can't do anything to you other than get, you know, talk to you. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's really funny. Yeah, my uh, husband calls it, you know, you go to these conferences. It's like, you know, you're just going back to the mothership to get recharged, right? You're just literally, it's, it's a really fun dynamic to be a part of and, there's such a, we're early adopters. So I feel like because of that, and we've all, all feel so alone when we go back home, <laughs> unless we're in a yeah. situation yeah. like you're in, um, that we have an opportunity to connect with others and, you know, see them in person and everyone's always shorter or taller or, you know, right. different. <laughs> Love that you said, always see each other in two dimensions. That was, that was really fun. Yeah. So. Well, when I met you, because I'm five, two and, you know, I've only seen you and I was like, Lori, you're so tall and how tall are you? <laughs> Five, five, seven. Seven. Five, five seven. seven. I was like, look at you, you're tall. <laughs> yeah, and I got that a lot. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I really want to get into more of your your physical athletic endeavors, which are phenomenal. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, I mean, you've done Ironmans and yeah. Boston marathons and oh my goodness. So how did that all start? And what, do you, what does the day look like for you? Oh, man. So... How did that start? I, you know, I have no idea. I actually grew up as a ballet dancer. So my mom owned a ballet school up until she was 75. So it was sort of ingrained in me. And that's, I spent, I mean, hours upon hours. I was in ballet company. I absolutely loved it. You know, I'm not built like a ballet dancer. I'm like five, two and sort of, 
these muscular legs, which I guess is good for, for dance, but I was not this lanky sort of, but I loved it. And my mom obviously loved it too. So as a ballet dancer, as a bunhead, um, kept me out of a lot of trouble because, you know, just ballerina, which is, you know. <laughs> and so when I went to the University of Michigan, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. And that's at least that I thought. So I didn't want to chose not to major in dance. And, and quite frankly, I mean, I was realistic. I was not going to be a professional ballerina. I just wasn't, but I loved it. Um, and so I took at the University of Michigan, they have a wonderful dance department and I was able to take ballet and got credit for it. So I was like, this is great. I can still take ballet. And um, during the time I, I had a boyfriend in college and uh, he's like, hey, we should get mountain bikes. I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of like one of these people just in life of like, that sounds like an adventure and I haven't done that, but I'm willing to try, you know, I might suck at it, but you know, that's okay. So we started mountain biking and we went out to Moab and we did a lot of those like famous uh, trails. And back in the day, um, we now call them duathlons, but they were called fat tire biathlons. So they were mountain biking and running. And this was back in the early nineties. And I got, I had my Trek 950 and it was really cute. It was like, blue and he put like pink tape on it. I loved it. And I show up to these races and like literally there'd be like two other women there because it was before women really, before mountain biking really took off and before women really were doing mountain biking. So that was great because I usually would podium because there'd be like three women there. Um, yeah. But I, I just loved the adventure of it. And I think from my, you know, years of ballet, you know, ballet, all dancers, ballet dancers are athletes, right? I had really strong mm -hmm. legs. Um, not so much my upper body, but um, long, you know, flexibility and, and uh, strong legs. And I, I just loved adventures. So then uh, with that same boyfriend at the time, we decided, well, let's do a marathon. I was like, well, okay. Like I had done maybe some 5Ks, 10Ks. I knew nothing about running, you know, other than you just put some shoes on and you go run. So because again, you know, sometimes in, um, ignorance is bliss. Um, we decided to sign up, sign up for the Chicago Marathon in 1992. Had no clue what we were doing, other than that. Okay, well, we probably have to do some kind of training, and and then we have to run 26.2 miles. So we did it. Um, I'm sure it wasn't pretty, but uh, we finished. And so I was like, well, that was cool, you know. Okay, so check that box, marathon, and then graduated from college, um, ended up meeting my, my current husband right now. And it was cute because he played um, soccer for the University of Michigan. And one of my best friends played soccer on the women's team for University of Michigan. And it was homecoming two years after we graduated. We were the token couple that met at a bar. Um, but I was with my friend Lori and she's like, she was talking to my husband, John, and she looks at the two of us and she's like, you guys will mountain bike and you're super outdoorsy. Like you guys need to call each other. You know, this is before even like cell phones. I think like probably we broke down our numbers on a landline. And so he called me up the next day. And he's like, you want to go for a mountain bike ride? I was like, okay. So um, mountain biking and like brought us together. Um, and then, you know, I just sort of fell in love with running. Um, it, for me, it was just efficient, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's when I was like starting medical school and I could just lace up a pair of shoes. If I had a half an hour, if I had 45 minutes, um, I didn't have to go to a gym. I could just go outside and there was a lot of freedom in that. And then I found out I really like it. And so I had this goal um, because I, I think I tend to be, like many of us, goal oriented of like, wow, that sounds really cool. I want to do that. And sometimes it's, 
you know, I want to respect what these goals are, that the work that it takes to get there. But my goal was to run the Boston Marathon, not only the Boston Marathon, but the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon. And that was in 1996. So I was in medical school. I was in my second year of med school. And as you recall, second year is when you take part one of the boards, one of the big boards that we had to take. And so I knew that or I learned, I didn't know what at first, I learned you had to qualify for Boston. And there was a time, so I was 25, 26 at the time. So I needed like a three hour, 30 minute marathon. Uh, so I was like, okay, so I have to run a race to qualify. So I chose Columbus, Ohio. I knew what I needed to qualify, I ended up qualifying. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna run the 100th anniversary. So then I got really busy with medical school of studying for those boards and all my exams. And I was like, oh, I think I'm just gonna wing it. You know, I'm just gonna like, I just wanna run it. So this is before we had cell phones. So I got to Boston, it was the hundredth anniversary and I'm from Massachusetts originally. And all of my relatives live in the Boston area. My parents came out and this was a big deal. Like, you know, here was this ballerina now running like the Boston marathon and all my family's out there. So my parents bought me the jacket, the poster, the hat, everything. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I got to run this thing now because I like own everything. And I bought a disposable camera because it was before cell phones. And so I was like going to just take pictures the whole way. And because I did not train properly and Boston is a very hilly course. It's a really tough course. Mile 15, I was like, this is bad um, and, and stretching at every aid station. But again, I was like, I've got to finish this thing. And, and I tend to be a type of person that for me to give up, it's got to be really, really bad. So it's all those conversations in your head of like, I could, yeah, yeah, I could quit. My family will still love me. It's going to be okay. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, you can keep going, but I could quit. No, 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 no. One more mile. So somehow I got to the end of the finish line. It was, again, it wasn't pretty. Um, so I got to wear the jacket. And I was hooked, you know, Boston Marathon is for anyone who's done it or who wants to do it. There's nothing like it. And I know we had the bombings in 2014 and, and I've done it since then. And it's, it's even more special. So that's when I started my running sort of career. Again, it was just recreational pretty much. I didn't work with a coach or anything like that, but it, I found some best friends through running. And what I found was you know, what's said on the run stays on the run. And some of my best friends are my running friends because mm. there's something about running. And when you're running parallel to each other, there's a safety that mm. just, you know, rather than, you know, I love having face-to-face -face conversation, but as you're out there in nature and you're just chatting, like people, like I've learned life stories just being out on a run. So I've developed these really deep, intimate relationships um, through running. And if I ever run for president, which I never will, my motto for world peace would be that everyone runs. <laughs> because <laughs> if you're out for a run and you see anyone, right? No matter, you know, ethnicity, socioeconomic, political, we're just a happy group of people. Everyone's waving. And so running for world peace. Um, so, you know, when I was, when we were raising kids and busy, running to me was just um, something I could do and something mm -hmm. that was very um, healthy from my mental standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it's very much an active meditation for me. A lot of times I, I run with friends, but a lot of times I, I run alone and it's time for me to think, it's time for me to be grounded. I almost always run first thing in the morning. That's just kind of how my life sets up, is set up and that's what works best for me. 
and so it's a very peaceful time for me to to get my day started um, very mm -hmm. important so because i got into running i thought well maybe i'll do a triathlon and i had a friend at the time who had done triathlon she's like and i was like oh i swam a little bit as a kid and you know i can ride a bike because i had my schwinn banana seat i i can do that too and i uh, did a triathlon i was like well that was cool well one day i want to do an iron man because of course that's like the the ultimate goal and so i was um fortunately connected with amazing a uh, couple um, karen mckeechee and lou kidder and lou kidder uh was has been a coach to some olympic uh triathletes uh oh. and just happened to live in my area it's not that I was of that level, but I just happened to live in that area. And his wife, Karen McKeechee, who tragically was killed cycling six years ago, was a world champion uh, triathlete. She was eighth at Kona in the late 80s. She actually was inducted to the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame because of her accolades. Uh, so they took me under their wing. And it was something that I had never you know, had the opportunity to do. I had never worked with a coach before. They became um, some of my best friends, um, they still are today. Um, uh, Karen, rest in peace. Um, but it was a really fun learning experience, a very humble experience, um, because I learned, you know, there's, I'm not a good swimmer at all. I'm not built like a swimmer. I had to really work at it, but they, you know, they coached me and I learned how to do track workouts. I learned how to do cycling workouts with power and and then um, they got me to the starting line of my first Ironman triathlon and you do one and then you're like, can I do a little bit better? Um, so I've done three. Um, one of them, um, I was the first amateur female. So that was my claim to fame. And that was really great. Uh, it takes a lot of time to train for a, an Ironman, particularly mm -hmm. 100 mile bike rides. So um, I haven't done an Ironman since 20. Twelve. Um, I've done some half Ironman since then, and I don't know. There, there might be another full Ironman um, in my, in my, you know, forecast. I think that what they used to tell me, because I was always balancing, you know, they didn't have children of their own, and so I was always balancing being a mom, being a doctor, and a pseudo triathlete. Um, and they, they would tell me like, there's a season for everything. And right now in life, I feel like my season for my and my opportunity is where I'm really grounded and all those things I still will always exercise I still will always be a mom and uh, a wife and you know a daughter but I think that your priorities maybe shift so it, it was an amazing experience I learned a lot about myself I learned about not giving up I learned about tenacity and perseverance and um met a lot of, you know, the triathlon community was great too. It's just like, you know, you find people with common interests and um, wherever you are and uh, it's wonderful. Mm, that, that's fabulous. No, I, I totally get it. Uh, yeah, as the kids have left <clears throat> the house, you definitely have definitely dove deep into the business aspects of mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. this. Um, I can't imagine doing what I'm doing now with the children at home. <clears throat> yeah. It, it, honestly, I, I feel it'd be impossible. I feel this is harder than, I mean, medical school and residency are hard, don't get me wrong, but the holy, and being in the military, I feel, but this, this is just, it's a different stretch of my brain. Um, Absolutely. But I do want to touch back to, you just kind of mentioned it briefly in 2014. Were you, did you run in the Boston Marathon that had the bombings? I was not there that year. Uh, I okay. had very 
close friends that were there. In fact, I was seeing patients at the time and people know that I have done 10 Boston marathons. So right. a lot of my people thought I would be there. So my phone was in my pocket. I was seeing patients and it was blowing up and I'm like, what's going on? Why? Um, and fortunately, you know, all my friends, um, most of them had already finished. Um, mm. And yes, you know, it, uh, you can't believe that that happens, you know, right. or that happen. And, but we've come back and it's Boston mm-hmm. strong and, you know, things are different now. I mean, you, when you get on those, cause Boston's a point to point. So they bust you out to Hoppington, which we call athletes village. And before, you know, you could bring duffel bags and this and that and check them on the bus. And now it's very regimented. Like you have a clear bag, you know, it's, you go through metal detectors to get onto the bus. You go through medical detectors, getting off the bus to, to the start line. And everyone's very respectful. In fact, when I did Boston in October, um, it was canceled in April because of COVID. So this past year, it was in October um, of 2022. We had to be COVID tested or we had to show vaccination proof or be COVID tested. And so again, people were respectful of the policies. This is, you know, we know that, that the race directors want Boston to happen. And it might be a little bit different than it was in the past, but, um, everyone complied and there was, there was, they were very efficient and yeah. So it's a, there's some differences now, but it still has the same energy, the palpable energy. Yeah. I love Boston. It's by far, I think one of my most favorite cities that I've ever been to. It's just Absolutely. the coolest place. Like, yeah. yeah. You yeah. never get a chance. You should definitely put Boston on your bucket list folks. Um, For sure. And I'll be back running um, it again because in uh, this past well, two months ago in October, uh, I ran Chicago again. So it was exactly 30 years after my first marathon. Mm-hmm. And so 1992, Chicago was my first. I came back 30 years later. And it was kind of a crazy time because I had just started working um, with Canyon Ranch. And I was in the midst of training and, and driving to multiple up, um, uh, properties. But I managed to qualify again. I will say that as you get older, right? So with the qualifying standards, as you get older, the times get slower. And if you're a female, so if you really want to qualify for Boston, be a middle-aged female. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit easier, but still a, a still quite yeah, a, an amazing still, endeavor. <laughs> yeah, what I used to be able to, to run um, and bike and, and do, things change, right? And I'm in my yeah. 50s. And, you know, as we know, menopause happens and sarcopenia and these things that your body changes. And I look at my fastest marathon at Boston was a 304, which is about a 703 minute mile pace. And now I'm lucky if I can even do one mile at that pace, but I was 41 at the time. And, you know, so I wasn't like, it was in my twenties, I was in my forties. And then, um, you know, I don't, I don't train like I used to train. My body can't really handle that. And really I want to be, my goal is to respect my aging process. Um, but also am I might be, I am slower, not even might be slower. I am slower, but I want to be able to still have opportunities and still have adventure. And, you know, I'm still moving forward, you know, albeit, you know, slower pace, but, um, I still have goals. Oh yeah. hundred percent. No, it's all of it's a phenomenal. Um, yeah, as you hit in your fifties, it's different than your forties. I will attest to that. I mean, it's just, it's just different and it's nothing. I mean, it's just the way it is, but you have to pay more attention, I think, to the physical side of things. You can't let things slide and you do what you could have done 10 years ago. I mean, it's just, yeah. I'll, it's I'll just, give you an example. So my husband, um, 
he's a consultant and he works with a lot of people who are much younger. So they're in their thirties. Uh, most of them just starting their families. And so they have a kickball league. And so they asked us to sub and I'm like, sure, I'll sub for kickball. And, you know, kickball is, you know, they've got the bases. And so I was up to kick and I kicked the ball. I got it. And then I, I took off sprinting to first base, my hamstrings, <laughs> like I, I was like injured for like a couple of weeks after that, because like my body cannot go from zero to a sprint like that. It needs time to warm up. I think my body was like, you are not in your thirties anymore. So it was <laughs> was like, take off and sprint to first base. So you, you know, you don't get out. But my body was like, we don't do that anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then as I'm like in the field, I'm seeing like these young, like 20, 30 year olds being able to do that. And I was like, yeah, not anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. But it, it absolutely doesn't mean you can't hitch, do phenomenal things physically. You absolutely can. It's just a little bit different. Um, but what do you eat in a day? Because I remember I warned you before we started, like, I have to make sure I ask this. So I literally make a note to myself. Yeah. Well, what yeah. do you eat in a day? Because people always ask that to, you know, give you the energy and the um, tenacity to do everything that you do do. So I will say, and my husband will um, affirm this, I tend to be a creature of habit. I'm a very habitual person. Um, so it works for me. Like I, you know, I kind of have the same routines. Like I get up and I run and I do this. So it's not that I, you know, I'm afraid to try other things. I just kind of know what works for me. And I tend to just like, so in the morning, I run first thing in the morning. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I, I, I run fasting because I, um, I eat a lot of nuts and seeds. So I'm a big fan of Trader Joe's. Uh, if you have one near you, they're great. I get all of my nuts and seeds from Trader Joe's. They have great prices. And so I have this mixture that I love. It's um, cashews, almonds, and cranberries. And then I mix some um, raw almonds in there. So I usually have like a couple handfuls of trail mix before I go out for my run because it just, it doesn't feel too heavy and yet gives me um, some of that energy. And I will say that I I snack on nuts a lot during the day. There's always a bag of nuts at work in my car. Um, and you know, when I counsel patients, you know, we know that nuts and seeds are so beneficial um, with the fiber and um, the omega-3s. And but and they're calorically dense, right? So for someone who's active, I'm I'm active, I exercise every day. Um, it, it works as a great snack for me throughout the day. For some of my patients, when I'm counseling that they're really trying to lose weight, because nuts being good for you are very calorically dense, I, I tend to say you can have that, but it's really hard to just have one serving. So maybe use it as a topper on your, your salads or things like that, or a little bit of walnuts, like in your yogurt, your oatmeal, because it's really easy to have several handfuls. But if you feel like I'm at a weight where I'm, you know, want to maintain, I, you know, and you're active, then it's a wonderful, for me, it's been a wonderful snack to always have. Um, so, and then, um, like, I like avocado toast. So some Ezekiel bread, some avocado. I always have um, a Tupperware of tofu scramble uh, in my refrigerator. And, and I'm, I'm very, I like things that are very simple to prepare. My husband is way more experimental and loves to, so we're great. Like he loves, loves, loves uh, new recipes. I'm about like, what's quick and easy for me. So my tofu scramble that I always keep and um, I'll have some of that in the morning. I have some 
throughout the day is I saute um, and usually no oil, just uh, with water, some red peppers, green peppers, yellow peppers, mushrooms, broccoli, tomatoes, spinach, saute that, add in my tofu. I use firm or super firm uh, tofu, crumble it up. And then I add turmeric, um, which gets this nice yellow color and flavor and then cumin. And so turmeric and, and cumin have the anti-inflammatory properties as well. So that there's always a Tupperware of that, that I can just take it out, put it on Ezekiel bread. I can just eat a plain um, as my tofu scramble, get my protein in, get my soy. We know that soy is so helpful for men and female and females, great source of plant protein, but also helps reduce breast cancer um, risk by 30% and recurrence uh, by 30% in men, 30% reduction in prostate cancer. And then those of us in our fifties with bone health helps our bones as well. Um, Lunch, uh, generally, I always have um, lots, I, I bring lots of vegetables to snack on. I love just steamed Brussels sprouts and uh, things like that. Sweet potatoes, I absolutely love. I have my nuts and seeds. I usually have some berries, um, salads. So, and, but sometimes it's just like, like a Tupperware of just fruits and vegetables. Um, hummus, I love you know, bringing hummus. I have a great dip that I make. Again, really easy. It's just three super ripe avocados, a can of garbanzo beans that's been drained to get the, the salt um, out. Sometimes if you can get no salt added um, or you can hydrate your own, um, uh, squeezed lemon and then garlic powder, not garlic salt, garlic powder to taste. You mix it up in your Vitamix or your really good blender. And so it's basically like a guac hummus combination. Mm. So I bring a Tupperware of that um, or hummus. And so I'm using that. And then for dinner, I always do a dark leafy green salad. Um, and I'm really spoiled right now because at Canyon Ranch, they have a wonderful salad bar. So it's seasonal. So right now I have a dark leafy green salad with roasted sweet potatoes, um, roasted cauliflower with turmeric, beets. Beets are wonderful to put on salads with their antioxidants. Um, and ground flaxseed and tomatoes and a little bit of hummus. And then I'll generally have like grilled tofu or grilled tempeh and then uh, healthy grains that I like to have and almost like make it a Buddha bowl, quinoa. Um, quinoa is pretty much my go-to just because it's got the protein. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I do, um, I do not practice intermittent fasting. Uh, I know that there's some evidence and data to support that. Uh, for me, being really active and then exercising first thing in the morning, I feel like that doesn't work for me. And I'm not saying that it won't work for others, but I feel like I need to have something um, in my body to, to fuel. Um, so where, where I found intermittent fasting, sometimes it'd be really helpful. I mean, taking aside the, the metabolic um, and the gut microbiome effects that can have. For some of my patients, it, it, it helps them with being more mindful. If you've got a certain window of eating it might be uh, 12 to eight. Um, that means when you're watching TV at nine o'clock at night and you're kind of bored or you're surfing the web, you're not like, oh, I'm kind of bored and you know, something crunchy sounds good. So it's helped a lot of my patients in that sense of just being more mindful about, I have a certain window. And then even if I'm bored, you know, later on at night, um, committed to this. And so I'm just gonna to follow my, my window of eating. So that's kind of me in a nutshell and no one is perfect. Um, you know, like, yeah, like, do mm -hmm. I, you know, that yeah. sounds great. It's simple and yeah. easy. Um, yeah. absolutely. That's in all of those foods. There's so many 
wonderful things, but I love tofu scrambles too. My goodness. Oh, yes. Yeah. Is she describing that? And then the avocado hummus. Yeah. yeah. The, and you said a little garlics, uh, garlic powder. powder garfa, yeah. yeah. And some lemon juice, right? Yeah. And I do sweet potatoes. I have a sweet potato pretty much every day. And I think you've probably seen in clinical practice, like the poor potato has been vilified. I mean, I feel so bad for the potato. You know, when I see <laughs> pre-diabetic, they're like, don't worry, I'm not eating any potatoes. I was like, well, there's a difference between a sweet potato and a French fry and a potato chip. So right. sweet potatoes and purple potatoes, as we know in the blue zones, you know, where people are living the longest sweet potato in Okinawa, Japan, sweet potatoes are like really like potatoes. the fabric of their life, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, so I'm I support the potato. Yeah. Oh, I love air fried sweet potatoes. Oh my yes. gosh, they're some of my yeah. favorite. Oh goodness. Well, what would be as we're closing here, as I want to be, you know, mindful of your time here, but what is your would be the advice that you would give to someone who's maybe really working on trying to implement healthier lifestyles? Like what have you found works with patients or yourself to really kind of start the healthier lifestyle? Like where should they start? Where do they even begin? Yeah. So I think that it's important to assess what we call the readiness for change scale, right? So I'll have some patients that are referred to me because they are pre-diabetic or already developed um, type 2 diabetes or heart disease. Um, and they're not even aware of our lifestyle behaviors and habits that could maybe be uh, not so healthy for them. So introducing this concept of what a healthful dietary pattern looks like. And you and I are, are aligned with the pillars of lifestyle medicine. We, we definitely promote a plant forward dietary pattern. I tend to use that instead of the term vegan because sometimes vegan has this sort of political connotation. And I don't want to be so exclusive that you have to say you have to be 100% plant-based because I have some patients who do. They, they dive right in. They want to be black or white. So I think emphasizing more direction to plant forward, plant slant. And, and if that's where they're at, or some people are maybe pre-contemplative, they're like, or contemplative, like, I've heard of this, like, I want to learn more. And so a lot of times in that first consultation, I will give them a list of resources and I'll kind of say, do you, got, do you like to watch TV? Like, do you, do you ever watch TV? And people are like, yeah, I'm like, okay. So I recommend, I think the documentaries that we have out right now, you know, Forks Over Knives have been out for a while. Game Changers is a newer one. What the hell? They're really well done. And it can really, and I say, grab your husband, grab your kids, because a lot of times when you're making lifestyle changes to have support um, with your family, your loved ones, your colleagues, your friends, it can make it easier. You don't have to, but it makes it easier and just, you know, learn. And so that's kind of where we start. Or I might say, do you ever listen to podcasts? And I give them some podcasters being one of them. And you don't want to be too pushy because I respect, I say, you're an intelligent person, you know, and you, I'm here to help empower you. And these, I know you can do this and I can't do it for you, but I want to help you. And I will provide you the resources and books. Um, so I, I, I give them education and tools and I say, come back and see me in a couple of weeks and let's, let's, you know, what did you think? And a lot of times they're like, wow, that was, that was really interesting. I had no idea. I had no idea that you know, how I ate, how I exercised, how I slept could, or how I managed my stress could affect my chronic disease. And, you know, I, I explained too, I say, it's not that I don't prescribe medications because I'm a physician. 
there's definitely a role of medications. But as a lifestyle medicine physician, my goal, the first thing we're going to work on is lifestyle change. And we absolutely, you know, we can prevent chronic disease and we can possibly reverse chronic disease. And even to introducing that concept, because a lot of people think once I'm diabetic, I'm always diabetic. Once I'm hypertensive, I'm always hypertensive. So introducing that possibility is like, wow. And then also, I see a lot in primary care when we're taking our family history, um, you know, patients will say, well, diabetes runs in my family, heart attacks run in my family, and people struggle with their weight. So that's what's going to happen to me. That I've just accepted it. Everyone in my family, you know, is on insulin. And validating that, saying, okay, you know what? You're absolutely right. Genes run in family. But so do recipes and lifestyles. <laughs> so if, you know, everyone in your family, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken was served, you know, every Friday night and, and activities included going to the movies and getting butter popcorn, that's not so much your genes, that's lifestyles. And the great news is that genes are not your destiny. You have the power. And I believe in you. I think when we, as, as physicians, if we are constantly writing medication after medication after medication, which I see as Band-Aid, 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 not getting to root cause, it's like we don't have faith in our patients really creating change. And so I sort of flip it and say, like, I know you can do this. Like, if you mm. choose to want to change, I believe in you and I'm here to help you. So I think that's where we start. And, and definitely the most important thing is to meet patients where they're at. And I think it's really important to have, we use the SMART goal acronym, right, to be very specific to be actionable, measurable, attainable. So for some people, it's like, could you, in fact, I just saw um, a patient last week, he was in his thirties and he's like, I don't like any vegetables. And I said, well, let's <laughs> talk about that. Like anything. Well, um, I think he said, I like broccoli. I'm like, great. Can you broccoli do of all vegetables? Bro you do broccoli like, you know, at least three times a week, yeah. Can you pick out a different color? I said, make it like a game. Could you like eat the rainbow? Like Roy G. Bibb and his wife was there. She's like, oh my God, we can totally make a chart for you. So it was meeting, you know, and I wasn't going to say like, him, like every single day you need to have at least, you know, like a huge salad. It's like, that's not going to happen. So it's like, yeah. what, you know, he was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Oh, oh, let me think about something purple. So, you know, eggplant. Okay. Um, so it's definitely meeting patients where they're at small actionable steps, like with exercise, like could you, you know, go outside and go for a walk 10 minutes, you know, three days a week. And it has to be like, yep, on a, you know, one to 10 confidence scale. If you're not at least a seven or an eight, like we're not, that's too much. Okay. Can you go, you know, just walk to the mailbox and get your mail every day? Yeah, I could do that. So I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, we have six official pillars of lifestyle medicine, our, our food is medicine, movement, sleep, avoidance of risky substances, stress, social connection. My seventh, you know, is daily exposure to outside of nature to really emphasize that like a spokes on a wheel, these are all equally important. And at times in life, one might be struggling more than the other, but that we want to emphasize all of them. You know, you, you could eat the healthiest uh, dietary pattern, but if you're not sleeping, you know, well, and only getting four hours of sleep and super high charge and high stress, that's, you're not going to have, you know, a healthy lifestyle. Mm. So that's sort of my approach. Yeah. Well, that is a very comprehensive and doable approach. So I love it. This, this, you know, are you ready? And what are you ready to do? And just get started. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like once people get started, yeah. everything else will fall into place. And, and 
One thing that I've really honed in on, I think, in the last few years is just understanding that you don't have to be perfect today. Just reminding, you know, having the patient remind themselves, you don't have to be perfect today. You don't have to have all the answers today. But what is the one thing you can do today to make you one step closer to your goal? And then, and it's okay if if it if you don't know that what that is. But what there's always something small piece that you can do that you know makes you feel better. Yeah, and I usually um, use the phrase, "Don't think about what you're giving up." think about what you're gaining and then asking my patients like what's your why Mm -hmm. and if they say well I want to um get down to 150 I'm like well okay that's fine but what's the bigger why why would you want to do that Mm -hmm. well I think I'll feel better and and my knees won't hurt as much well why what would that mean well that means that I could maybe like go to the park with my grandkids I could play with them well what is that what's that Mm -hmm. well I'd have fun with my grandkids and have the relationship that I really want to have with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, there's a why. So mm-hmm. let's, you know, yep, the number can go down or this, yeah. But, yep. but I think we need to help our, you know, our patients to the why, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Simon Sinek, start with why that's a great book. It's, it yeah. literally is asking why three to five times and you'll get down to the the scale is just a nice side effect of making these amazing changes in your life so 100 percent yeah well again i want to be respectful of the time and i really appreciate everything you're you're doing melissa and everything you've done i'm super excited to see your journey with canyon ranch and just i'm sure there'll be some amazing stories that come from that and all your adventures moving into a old farmhouse and (laughs) and i thought Oh. Yeah, back with you, Lori, because you really, you were more of a pioneer than I was. And, uh, you know, I, I looked so much and still do so much up to you and have mm-hmm. learned a lot over the years from your podcast and your guests. And so thank you for paving the pathway for so many of oh, us and I'm really no. grateful to be part of your community. You know, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And honestly, it, it all goes back to a patient and um, just being curious and diving down the rabbit hole that I literally have yet to emerge. So I just keep going deeper and then I'll probably exactly. hide open in the rabbit hole. It'll be all good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, well, thanks again, everyone for listening. Please share this. I feel like this is a really good podcast for people to understand the amazing physicians that are available. Um, you know, to there's, there's other people out there, but don't give up your search. If you find that you ha- don't have the connection with the doctor or a PA that can really listen to you and, and lead you down the path of lifestyle changes and lifestyle medicine, keep searching, you know, there's online and, and, you know, check out Canyon Ranch. What is the website for Canyon Ranch, by the way? Uh, just canyonranch.com. Um, yeah. Okay. Very good. Pretty so canyonranch.com. Yeah. And absolutely. Then I'm on the, uh, you go to the, um, if you just search my name under there, you'll be able to, to see me and, my uh, email is easy too. It's just msunderman at canyonranch.com. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives 
free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.